Alright, if you guys would be turning to Isaiah chapter 40. been keeping up before we've been going through Isaiah. I want to make you raise your hand. <laughs> so we've been talking about what it is to live before the face of the Lord. Uh, the Latin phrase is quorum Deo, to live before the face of God in everything that we do, in everything that we uh, accomplish, and in every sin that we have. We live before the face of God. Uh, so this morning we're going to read Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31. And if you are able, if you would stand. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we ask that you would bless us. Lord, that you would uh, give us the understanding of your word. Lord, that you would guide us in our uh, daily lives and, Lord, in our application of what you've given us. Father, that you would make us a people that are more concerned about living before you, living in your face, Father, that we would uh, recognize you as you ought to be recognized, and, Lord, that you would help us to uh, walk each day in the light of Christ, treasuring him as our greatest treasure, and living in this world as a child of Christ. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> All right. So here we are looking before looking at living before God's face and living in the mercy of the Lord. Living in the mercy of the Lord. This starts off, this section does, with a pretty, uh, you want to say bold, but really a selfish statement. It starts off, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? So when we think about my way is hidden from the Lord, you, you want to uh, kind of take yourself in the mind of a teenager who is doing something that their parents don't know about, right? 
They think we're dumb. And looking back now, you're like, man, we were dumb. Um, because it was written all over our faces and everything else. We can't hide things well. Uh, it's amazing how smart we thought we were. But um, that's not what this is talking about. These people have been beaten. They have been conquered. They have been drugged from their homes. They have been taken to a strange place. They have been forced to serve uh, kings that are foreign. And they have been battered and bruised deeply. Not just... Um, losing earthly things, but they, a lot of them have lost their lives and family and everything else. So in that, I hope this takes on a little deeper thing, a deeper meaning. It's not that what I have done is hidden from the Lord. It's what I have suffered. Why do we think what we have suffered is hidden from the Lord. It, listen to it in the scripture. My way is hidden from the Lord and the justice do me. Okay. They've been wrong. That's how they feel. They've been done wrong. They've been cheated in life. They've had everything taken away from them. They didn't do anything in their eyes maybe to deserve the punishment that they've received. And they want to know where is justice? How do they get away with this? And the assumption is that they are owed justice. Where is the justice that is due me? That's making a lot of assumptions, right? That, that's saying that I have done nothing to deserve what happened, first of all. I, I didn't trigger it. I didn't ask for it. And then again, have you done nothing? Sometimes doing nothing is exactly receiving what you deserve. When you do nothing, you, you've not done anything that the Lord has commanded you to either. In their case, they didn't prevent the idol worship. They didn't prevent the high places. They might not have participated in them, but they didn't prevent them either. They didn't speak against it. They just let it happen. And now they want to know from God, where's the justice? Where is it? Why did this happen? The other assumption is I did nothing wrong. There's not one of us that can make said claim. Life is going to be full of trials and a lot of them we won't understand. But what we must understand is that life is also full of sin. And it has corrupted not only us, but others. It has corrupted the world around us. 
and in the slightest bit that we have participated in the violation of God's law is the greatest offense that we need worry about ever doing. And we can't ask, where is our justice? Where is our justice? This morning, I want to talk about the mercy of the Lord. You don't want justice from God. We may think that we do. We may be like the Israelites here, crying out, where is the Lord's justice off of what has happened to me? But this morning, we don't want justice we want mercy if it were justice we were seeking then we would all be hanging in the gallows in the afternoon we want God's mercy I I love the response we get here do you not know have you not heard the everlasting God The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Now you can almost see in the the response that, is the Lord asleep? Or has he forgotten? Did he overlook? Maybe this thing that I'm experiencing has escaped his notice because of all the greater problems in the world. And then again, he reminds us that You do not know, you do not understand. The NASB says inscrutable are his ways. The ESB says unsearchable. The KJV says there is no searching of his understanding. You cannot understand what the Lord actually knows well enough to make the claim that he possibly overlooked anything. You think about all the bad that happens in the world, then you think about some of the good that comes out of it. If any of you have ever been to a Hannah banquet, you hear the testimonies of those who have had abortions and been delivered from them, those who survived being aborted, and all types of other situations that babies might find themselves in by the murder of their parents. But we must understand, first of all, that the Lord has not overlooked none of these things. None of them have escaped his gaze. None of them have escaped his attention. And we want to ask sometimes, where is the Lord's justice in this? Even talking with some pastor friends, you know, there's one thing that makes you want to kind of go vigilante is the idea of someone killing a child. If there's anything that wants you to make you take justice in your own hands, It's the idea of that happening. And then we must reflect on our own selves. The Lord has not overlooked these things. And justice will come. And we beg for mercy. Because justice, if it comes in its fullness, it will affect every one of you. Every one of us. 
Living in the mercy of God is what we are living now. In less than three seconds, you will draw your next breath, and if you are able to fully exhale, then praise God. If you are able to both sit and stand, if you are able to hold at least one eye open, if you are able to come here, if you are able to wake up, if you are able to hear the sound of my voice, praise God. Not that you can hear me, but that you can hear. All these things we overlook. I want to see what Isaiah reminds us. He says, he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I was listening to a sermon the other day by Steve Lawson. He was talking about John Rogers. He was the first Marian martyr, I think is what he said. Um, he was burned at the stake. Right? So he's being led to the stake. He goes in, in, in all reverence. And when he's tied to the stake, as I understand it, he was still praising the Lord. And as they lit him on fire, they say he bathed his hands in the fire as if it were cool water. Not screaming out for his life, not yelling in pain, but bathing his hands in the fire. He was in a terrible situation. He was going to lose his life. Where was God's mercy? In his praise. He was able to praise the Lord and bathe his hands in the fire. Not that the fire didn't kill him, but it didn't affect him. Think about these hardships we have. The undue ones, right? The the persecution, as we might would quote unquote call it. Praise God for those. His mercy has delivered you from them. I, I want us to, to look at a a a, a, state, a a verse here in James, a few verses here in James, in James chapter four. If you would, if you if you could turn there. We're going to start in uh, the second half of verse 4. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says... God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. That message doesn't go over real well. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, we go back and get the the greater context. We're talking about wrong motives, wrong intentions, and overall sinful behavior, being a friend to the world. And we see in that, that we get a lot of our joy and our pleasure from worldly things. And that's what James is talking about mourning over. How we receive our joy, how we receive our pleasure in the world. But how do we humble ourselves before God? How do we humble ourselves before God? First of all, by understanding that each breath is an act of mercy. And in James's context, he understands everything is a gift from the Lord. And every next breath is owed to the Lord. It's not been owed to him by the Lord. Living in the mercy of God is taking nothing for granted. Taking nothing for granted. Even sorrow, pain. We learn from these things, right? What if your child never experienced the pain of a burn? They're liable to kill themselves in fire. Well, if they never understood the pain of falling, they'd be jumping from everything they could find. There's God's mercy in pain. Verse 31 of Isaiah 40, though, tells us, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? It's a pretty popular phrase to wait for the Lord. My question is, how do you wait for the Lord? What are we waiting on? You know, and I get the idea of a park bench and I'm just sitting there and I'm waiting on the Lord. I got decisions to make, but I need to wait for the Lord. But that's not what this is talking about, right? You have to move forward in life. You have to make decisions. You have to feed yourself. You have to feed those around you, those in your family. You have to work. You have to get up in the mornings and go to bed at night. So how do I wait for the Lord? Is it standing in front of Redbox going, Lord, which one of these should I pick? And I'm waiting. Is it shopping for houses? And so you make your short list and you go, Lord, which one of these 
should I pick? No? All right. Um, what about finding a spouse? And you, you, you get your, your friend list and you go through it. And you're like, all right, these are all potentials. Which one of these do I pick? I understand that uh, what's the app, the Tinder app has, has made this where you make your short list and your long list. You know, I, I was oblivious until a few years ago what that actually was, but making fun of Taylor and Adrian, that's how they met. But think about it. The The deal is you swipe one way or the other, right? There's a, there's a good side and a bad side, and so you cull. You go through there and it makes some eHarmony.com measurements and uh, finds compatible people and all these things. But then we get that short list and we go, well, how do I pick one? You know, it's kind of like a kid, you know, going to get a new puppy. Pick one. No, I want them all. To wait for the Lord is not to... Sit down and wait for signs or a verbal one way or another or an inclination. To wait for the Lord is to hope in the Lord. To hope in the Lord. And so when you make a decision, your hope is in the Lord for that and not in your ability to make good decisions. Right? All that comes with the Lord's mercy being in your life. Now, Taylor and Adrian made uh, the, the right swipe or whatever. And then they hoped that the Lord was merciful and they can look back and see that, right? How God works with these things. Um, it, it's the same thing before that. You know, we would all go to uh, the movies or, you know, hang out on Northwest Village parking lot or you know, trying to find the right girl riding by in the Camry around the Sonic or whatever, how we used to do things, uh, football games or whatever. And so we, we hoped one day to find the right one by chance. You know, used to the chances were limited because we had to do it in person. But again, we should hope in the Lord. Now, back then we can look back and go, man, we had all of our criteria off. We were using the wrong measurements. We didn't have our eHarmony.com filled out very holily, or if that's even a word. We weren't thinking clearly. We were using a lot more uh, testosterone or estrogen or whatever when we were doing our choosing. But yet God is gracious. Today, we have a spouse or a loved one and we look back and we say, well, <laughs> the criteria weren't that great to start with. A little off. Um, I was a little more attracted to his eyes than his brain. Or I was a little more fond of, uh, uh, of her hair than her uh, intellect. But God is merciful. When it says wait for the Lord, I, I want us to, and I, I promise this is going to take a while, so I apologize beforehand. But we're going to look through the Psalms and see what the psalmists say about waiting for the Lord. Uh, the first one's going to be in Psalm 27. 
Verse 14. It says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 31, verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 33. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. And our shield. Psalm 37. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. And then verse 9. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. And in verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Verse Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. And heard my cry. Psalm 130. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. Psalm 131. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. In Psalm 147. Verse 11. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. So, as a church, we've been through 150 psalms together. 150 uh, songs, hymns, poems about what it is to serve the Lord. In those, we have several examples of what it is to hope in or wait for the Lord. Now the question is how? See, a lot of times we get impatient, right? We want to make things happen. I need knowledge, that way I can make good decisions. I need uh, uh, information from other people. 
I need a, a good word from you, God. Quicker would be better. And I forget about God's providence. So how does providence work? First of all, it works by understanding that God is merciful. And that any decision you possibly make could be a wrong decision anyhow. But is it? Because the Lord can use bad decisions to make good outcomes. So what we have to do is to take everything that we have. Every bit of knowledge. Every inclination. And we have to weigh it against God. And his word. And his mercy. Trusting him. And hoping in him. He's telling those in Isaiah. That are experiencing the hardship. That are thinking that they've been lost from the gaze of the Lord. That he's no longer seeing them. He no longer pays attention to them. That the ones who may even think that he's asleep. He's telling them. Wait or hope in me. Not in what you want to happen to someone else. We have that want to sometimes. I want to go back and redo things. That don't happen as much as we sit around and fantasize about it. I mean, you know, we go with the, the going to school thing or the not going to school thing. The actually doing my homework in high school or the not doing my homework in high school. What sports we played, what instruments we you know, did, uh, the, the people we used to hang out with, the things, the stupid things we did uh, when we were younger, and the things we even do now that we wish we hadn't done two weeks ago. And we want to redo. The Christian life is not about redos. The Christian life is about looking forward and hoping in Christ. Because you can't redo those things. No matter how much we dwell on them. No matter how much we dislike what we did. Guess what? You have to live with it. And you won't forget necessarily what you've done. But you will or should Remember that today, if you rejoice in Christ, you rejoice in the Lord any that he was merciful and saw you through your own stupidity. And maybe you live for those, through those things to be able to inform others, don't do it. Maybe you will be an instrument of mercy, an instrument of mercy by experiencing the hardship of ignorant decisions in order to inform others. Don't do it. But the truth in all this is that all you can do is hope in Christ. Wait for the Lord. Let him be the one that gains revenge from being done wrong. Let him be the one that receives the praise from your healing. Let him be the one that is sought for comfort whenever you have lost something. Let him be the one 
that lifts you up high enough to make you go do something every day that you don't really want to do and hope in him that it is worth doing because he has given it to you to do. Things like jobs that get to be mundane. Hope in the Lord and go to work. Things like my wife, uh, you know, she has a full-time job herself. She has to wake up in the morning with a bunch of little birds in a nest chirping, wanting to be fed. And I say when we were growing up, you know, whenever we first got married, uh, nothing happened before the coffee pot went off. Now lots of things happen before the coffee pot goes off. But she wakes up every morning and she needs to hope in the Lord. That he'll use her that day with the children to be able to glorify him. Husbands and fathers, you wake up each day hoping in the Lord that he'll use your labor and how you love your wives and your kids to be able to point them to do the same thing. Whenever it seems like too steep of a mountain, just know this. All you need to know is where's the next step. We get caught looking at the peak, not looking at the path. We have to hope in the Lord. Here's another thing. Death. It's coming for us all. At a time we don't know. We can't predict it. It's not one of those things that we can weather forecast or put through a model. The Surgeon General has been warning us on several things for years about how they will kill us, but they still can't tell us when it will happen. Each day, when you get in your car, you have to hope in the Lord. Might be the last time. When you go to sleep at night, my mother and my grandmother were some of the biggest warriors in the world. It could be gas leaks, it could be electrical fires or whatever. My grandmother unplugged the television every time they turned it off. <laughs> she made sure the stove was turned off and if they went out of town for more than a few hours, all the gas valves were turned off. I would tell them, y'all just need to trust the Lord when y'all go to bed at night. You're never going to feel good the next day if you stay up all night worrying about what's happening. Storms, they scare my mother to death. She said, you would be scared too if you rode out through a tornado. Now, granted, her riding out through a tornado is one went close. So she didn't actually ride one out like Tyler. Nonetheless... You have to hope in the Lord when you go to bed at night. All kinds of variables. How do we apply that to how we live? 
How do we apply that to living before the face of God? We do it by recognizing that everything is an act of mercy on everybody across the board, Christian and non-Christian. But on the Christian, we are able to rejoice in all circumstances because we hope in the Lord. That he is doing these things with purpose. Life actually has purpose. It's more than just, you know, what's the old adage goes, live, die, and pay taxes. You don't even have to pay taxes with money. You'll do it with time if you want to. <laughs> There's more to life than that for those who trust in Christ. It's an experience of mercy. It's an experience of God's grace. And it's an ability to rejoice even when the world wants us to feel defeated. It's kind of like John Rogers bathing his hands in fire. It is an act of God's mercy that this man did it. It's not that the fire didn't kill him, it's that it didn't take away his joy. And that is God's mercy. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. And I, I really, uh, the more I think about it, the more I, I start to want to apply it this way, is that we aren't made necessarily for the time in which we live and how we serve our Lord. We are sojourners, aliens, and strangers in that sense as applied to the rest of the world and how they want to act. But this world was made to glorify our God. And that we must hope in. All of creation. So, today, we live before God's face. We're not hidden from Him. Our uh, hardships are not hidden from Him. Our sins are not hidden from Him. What we do, what we have, what's coming and what's happened, all of these things are before God's face. And the reality is He wouldn't change any of it. You think about through the course of biblical history, if God changed something, it would have an effect on the cross. It would have an effect. Trust the Lord. We have to. If any of you are hunters, you know whenever you're going duck hunting, you don't trust the weatherman to tell you the way the wind's going to blow. Because when you get there, it's going to be blowing the opposite direction, and you're going to have to sit up with the sun in your eyes. But you do trust the Lord. that even with the sun in your eyes, you can kill a few ducks. Right, Jacob? Even with hard opposition, the word of God will go forth. Even when people don't want it to, the church can grow. 
And even when we've been lazy or just unattendant, God can be merciful as long as our hope is in Him and not our failures. So, as the musicians come this morning, I, I, it's good to have that idea of living before the face of the Lord because in it, you find that you're never alone. You're never abandoned. You're never forgotten. And what you do, what's well, the definition of integrity? Doing the right thing when no one else is around and it might not even affect anyone. We're to be people of integrity because the Lord is always around. So, if you would stand, <clears throat> we're going to sing hymn number.